Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, Westbridge. My name is Kyle Fox. I serve as the student pastor here. Uh, And so just on behalf of my wife and three kids, let me just say uh, thank you for the opportunity to get to do that. Uh, Most of the times, not all the times, most of the times, it's a lot of fun. And so most of my time is spent opposite side of the building, and so uh, it really is. It's a gift to, to get to serve in this season in this uh, type of way. And so um, just as Weston said, we, we are in the midst of this series that we're calling uh, Lifted Up. As we, as we have seen and been seeing the redemptive work of God through the life of David. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And as you turn there, um, we, we will kind of do a flyover of these first few chapters, and then uh, we'll, we'll spend the bulk of our time in Psalm 57, just so you kind of have a lay of the land. I, I don't know if you have um, done much flying, but my family and I, we have uh, done an abnormal amount of flying here in these last six weeks. And so uh, if you have done flying, you've probably experienced that moment where uh, pilots call it turbulence. Okay, uh, for the normal people, it's like I, the plane probably will go down because it doesn't seem like this should be happening to this um, monster of a thing in the sky, right? And so uh, as we were descending into uh, Austin, Texas a few weeks ago, we, we encountered what, what they called turbulence. And um, it, it was an abnormally long period of turbulence, long enough to where myself being more of a pessimist by nature, I also am starting to wonder, maybe this is it. Like, I know that seatbelt's not protecting me. Like, this might be the end of it. And nonetheless, what began to happen in those next few moments was that the pilot came on over the intercom. And, and he said essentially, hey, guys, I, I know that you, we have encountered some turbulence. And, and just hearing his voice come on over the intercom, there was that like reassurance. There was that calming effect. And then he began to say, you know, we're going to descend a couple thousand feet. There's a storm system and we're going to be able to maneuver right on through it. So don't worry. And as I thought about that, I, I couldn't, help but think about this morning, that oftentimes as we hear the pilot's voice, it's got this reassuring effect in our lives. It's got this calming effect that even if the turbulence is still going on, we know that there's someone who's flying the plane, who sees what's happening, and has the ability to maneuver through it. And so why share that? Well, because this morning, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. And this morning, I'm hopeful that through God's word, we might be able to hear his voice and that it might be a reassuring voice in the midst of maybe even your own turbulence. And so like I said, we're going to spend uh, 1 Samuel 18. We'll start there and then do kind of a flyover, if you will, of these first few chapters and then spend the bulk of our time in Psalm 57. 
Uh, we have prayed to Garrick together. Uh, Eric led us in corporate prayer, and I want to give us just about 30 seconds or so, and, and I just want to encourage you to pray on your own, uh, individual prayer, and, and ask God. Like, we believe that his word is alive and active, which means, like, he has something for you today. Like, he has something that he wants to, to, to speak to you today, and I, I don't want us to miss what it is that that might be. So take 30 seconds and pray on your So, Father, what we need uh, more than anything is to hear from you this morning. So I just ask that you would do uh, just that, that you would meet us where we are. I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Well, just by way of reminder, what what we've covered these last couple of weeks is really we, we saw David be anointed the king of Israel. He was set apart to be the ruler of this nation. And then last week, uh, Pastor Tyson walked us through uh, David and Goliath, and, and this once shepherd boy is now headed toward being the ruler of the nation. And things are going pretty good for our hero, David. And, and in chapter 18, uh, it'll be on the screen as well, we'll see in verse 4 that David picks up a best friend. And really, he's the best type of Friend, And it says in verse 4 that Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword. That, that might strike you as a little odd, but essentially what Jonathan is doing is recognizing that I see God's authority and power in your life, David. I see that, and that's, that's what he's symbolizing essentially in that moment. And so then we see in just a verse later, verse 5, it says, whatever mission that Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So once again, he goes from leading sheep to being this high-ranking officer in the military. And he's, we're, we're told that he's met with so much success on the battlefield that surrounding enemy nations hear that David's on the battlefield and are like, we don't want any part of it, and they flee. Like that is a uh, level of influence and power that I don't, I don't know if any of us know. And nonetheless, if you were to read through chapter 18 closely, what you would find is that three times in this chapter, David is the object or the recipient of love. So, so verse 3 says that Jonathan loves David. Verse 16 says that the people love David. And then David meets a lady who's actually the king, uh, King Saul's daughter, and it says that she loves David. And so he's married into the royal family. It seems like that David is just a step away from what God has promised. And if we're being real honest, if this is what it means to be lifted up by God, sign me up. Like, count me in. Because we, we have this tendency, don't we, when everything is going well in our lives, to think that that is when God's blessing is on our lives. Don't we? 
students, young adults, like this is the job promotion that you've always wanted. Adults, this is the, the marriage, the companionship that you were hoping for. But then, if we keep reading in chapter 18, we'll find that there is a problem. See, as the people are celebrating David, Saul, the current but soon-to-be former king, becomes marked by jealousy. And if you look at verse 8, you'll see this. It says that Saul was very angry. And the refrain that the people were singing, that David had slain his 10,000, Saul his thousands, it displeased Saul greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And this jealousy will so grip the life of Saul that he will begin a military campaign to, with the sole objective to kill David. And so while it seems like David is at the heights, the bottom drops out from under him. Within three chapters, everything changes for him. The troops begin to chase him, and the murder plots on his life begin. And so I, I want us to feel this a little bit. Like, imagine that. That in a moment, you lose your career, you lose your home, you lose your spouse. And so what do you do? Where do you go? Well, we're going to see that David uh, goes to his mentor, Samuel, and he realizes it's not a long-term solution to, to stay there, and so he's going to flee once again. It'll be the last time that he ever sees his mentor. And then him and Jonathan are going to have an exchange where basically David says, hey, uh, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, he's not. And David's like, he is. And there's an arrow exchange. You can read about it. And nonetheless, Jonathan's going to go, my dad is trying to kill me. You've got to get out of here. And so that will be the last time that David sees his best friend. Jonathan will die on the battlefield without David being able to offer any sort of protection. Everywhere that David turns, there's turbulence. And David manages to survive encounter after encounter. But when we meet him in 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says this, that David has left Gath, he's fled once again, and he's escaped to the cave of Adullam. And it's not the last time that we see David in this predicament either. But this is where we meet the king through no fault of his own, while pursuing God, while honoring the Lord, David loses his job, his home, his physical safety, his comfort, his mentor, his friend. This is where we meet David. And this really gets to the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. What do you do when life ends up in a different place than you thought it would? What do you do when the path that you're on takes you on a direction that you didn't think it would go? When if we're really honest, being faithful to the Lord, it's just not fun anymore. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we have felt this and we feel this, don't we? Uh, perhaps it's job-related. Perhaps it's um, family issues. Perhaps it's the lingering sickness. What are you going to do when your life ends you up in a spot that you didn't think it would be in? See, the same question that faced David is the same question that faces you and I this morning. Will we trust God's sovereign hand in our cave moments, 
And when I say cave moments, I, I really just mean when, when what we know is difficulty, when what we experience is darkness and it's trials and it's testing, it's suffering, it's uncertainty of all types, both small and See, Tyson, last week, if you remember, he mentioned briefly um, that, that this period from when David was going to be, when he was anointed to be king, to when he actually became king was 10 years. 10 years. I, I want you to feel the weight of that, because if, if you're like me, 10 years feels like forever. To have a season of 10 years where what you know is challenge after challenge after challenge, I if I'm being very honest, I mean, I turn on the car and the car won't start and I'm like, God, have you forsaken me today? It's like, no, man, like, take a breath, like, you'll be all right. But nonetheless, I I want you to feel the weight of 10 years of trials, of suffering, of difficulty. What happens when you land in the cave? The reality of life, and even life, when you are lifted up by God, is that it will be marked with difficulty. And in the moments where what you know is darkness and testing and trial, we can remember the life of David and his example and the question facing him. If you fast forward to the New Testament, we actually see that the primary purpose of the Old Testament, it's to point you to Jesus. It's to point us to Jesus time and time again. He's the point. And second, as a secondary reality, the reason we have the Old Testament is also so that through the lives of these people, we might see examples of how we too can live. And that's what we see in the life of David. Will he trust the sovereign hand of God? But will, will you trust the sovereign hand of God? And, and I know that's heavy. And, and the rest of this time together probably will be. But what I don't want you to miss, because this is stunning, is that this period of David's life will mark him and really define him in a way even greater than his exchange with Goliath. Because when God leads David out into this season, it is not to destroy him, it is to shape him. And what looks like the end here, actually at multiple points, is actually just the beginning of something greater. So will you trust the sovereign hand of God? But my guess for many of us is that your answer is yes. Or at least you want it to be yes. And your question isn't actually that. It's actually how. How do we trust the sovereign hand of God, especially in our cave moments? Well, the good news, and you can flip over to Psalm 57, is that we are given two specific psalms that David writes, both of which are written in the midst of this season. It's Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. And again, in these Psalms, we see how David trusted in God's sovereign hand and how we can do it too. I I would commend both of these Psalms to you for further study, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Psalm 57 as we see three truths or three action steps, if you will, of how to handle life 
when you're in the cave. And so again, turn with me to Psalm 57. It'll be on the screen as well. As you do that, we've been going through the Psalms with our uh, high schoolers uh, this summer. And one of the things that always strikes me about the Psalms is just how honest the writers are, both about their own emotions, but also about the Lord. Like there are some Psalms that if you read through it, you're like, "Are are you even allowed to say that? But I love the Psalms for this reason. Because for all of us, we have days that are great and where what we know is comfort and joy, but we also have days that are terrible, don't we? Where what we know is actually hardship and sorrow, uncertainty and darkness. And I love how honest the Bible is about life's experiences. Like I could give you 10 lists of reasons of why we can trust God's word and good, rational, objective reasons of why we can believe it to be true. But you know what resonates with me more than anything? Is that this feels like real life. There is no pretend fairy world where people are just floating around affected by the difficulties of life. We don't see that in the Bible. And so I love like, that we can trust this book. It's reliable. And as followers of Jesus, you and I, we are not exempt from this. These seasons will test your faith. They will challenge what you believe. And and I'm not saying that knowing what God is doing in the midst of those things goes, okay, great, I get it now, this is all better. But rather, knowing that the pilot's voice comes over the intercom and reminds us he sees the turbulence. He knows what's going on, and he will see us through. That is what we need. So Psalm 57, the first two verses, says this. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, who vindicates me. And so how do we trust the sovereign hand of God in our cave moments? Well, the first thing is this, real honesty with God. You see that in verse 2. It says that he's crying out to God. Why? Because what's presently marking his life is this um, disaster. It's this storm of destruction. Psalm 142 actually takes it even a step further, and he says that I make my complaint known to you that I'm in trouble and it seems like there's no one here who's listening and no one here who cares. Does that type of honesty surprise you? I think it should. (laughs) Because we're, we're seeing him interact with the creator of the universe, who, as we'll talk about, can do whatever that he wants to do. And yet, this is how we're invited to pray? Like, you and I, we were meant to pray like this. There is a place in our lives for lament, this expression of grief and sorrow. And perhaps you've never had that honest of a prayer, but time and time again, we're going to find this gut-wrenching honesty in the Psalms. Like, just, just listen to a few of these. Do you feel like God's abandoned you? Like he's forgotten about you? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you feel alone? 
Psalm 25, 16 through 17. I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from anguish. Do you feel stressed? Psalm 31, 9 through 10. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My life is consumed by anguish. Do you feel depressed? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle and have sorrow in my heart? Are you sad (laughs) and you're not even sure why? Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? I can't help but ask if, if this is the type of relationship that you have with God. Like, do you have this type of honesty with him? Because for some of us, you've never actually been that honest with him. Because it kind of feels wrong. It feels like if you do that, you'll get bolt by some, like, zapped by some heavenly bolt, right? Like, if we're just being very honest, it feels scary. And let me just encourage you, if it feels scary, you're probably on the right track. Some of us, the very best thing that you could do this morning is be honest with God of where you're actually at and not just try to pretend like everything's going well or that you have to say the right things. And the reason for this, and I think we know this, you can't have intimacy without honesty. You can't have intimacy without honesty because honesty is what actually opens the door for intimacy. This is why we see David giving voice to his pain. He's taking the risk of real honesty with a God in order that he might experience real intimacy with a God who knows and a God who is real. And yet, this isn't where David stops. See, some of us, we've learned how to be honest with God but you've not actually learned the next step, which is actually trusting him. Because see, more and more, the premier value of my generation, of the generations after me, it seems like the premier value is authenticity. That's why you hear the phrases of, I've just got to be me. I've got to be true to myself. I have to follow my heart. It's because the premier value of our our generation is authenticity. And hear me, you're like, he's not pro-authenticity? Yes, I am. I'm pro-authenticity. And yet, I'm pro-authenticity as we find it designed by God. Because yes, we give voice to our complaints. We give expression and voice to the things that are weighing us down and the trials and the difficulties. And yet, this is only step one. Because if you fast forward 15 years from now, David is not still in this same spot. It's where he begins, but it's not where he ends. So how do you trust God's sovereign hand? Well, it starts with real honesty. The second thing is to recognize his sovereignty. In verse 2 in the cave, David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. Now that word vindicates It's not a bad translation, but I think the ESV actually translates it a little uh, more clearly because the phrase in the original language has this idea of bringing something to completion, of starting something and seeing it through to the end. 
And so the ESV, it translates it, God will fulfill his purposes for me. Now, again, I want you to notice that David's prayer is this mixture of humble pleading and quiet trust. He's not like, God, whatever, it's all, like, you're sovereign, and so I, like, it it just is what it is. That's not what he says. But he says, God, you're in charge, you are most high, you know what you're doing, please change this, I know that you can, but even after praying, he still trusts God's sovereign hand, which is why he says, God will fulfill his purposes for me, whatever that may be. And this part may make us a little uncomfortable, but what the Bible's going to do, and what God and his word, if, if we read it carefully, as you read through it, what you'll find is the reality, as Psalm 115.3 puts it, that our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. See, what you'll find out when you start engaging with God honestly, if you'll let him engage back with you, you'll find out that he's in charge of everything. That's what sovereignty means. And so uh, we could go place after place to see this. You could go to Moses. uh, but, But the story that came to mind was in John chapter 9. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but there's a blind man who Jesus encounters. And the text says that he's been blind his whole life. And we're not told exactly how long he's been alive, but probably 20, 30 years. And as we read through that story, what we'll find is that Jesus says he heals him so that God's power might be displayed in his life. See, sometimes we like to make excuses for God and say, well, it's because of a fallen world or a sinful world. And nuance is important. That is true. And simultaneously, Jesus doesn't do that. He goes, a whole life of blindness so that this moment when I heal him, God's power might be displayed, that his greatness might be displayed. But I think that that reality actually clues us in to what David's talking about here that God will fulfill his purposes, and not just in general, but for me, for you. If you know God as your refuge, if he is who you are trusting in, he will fulfill his purposes for you. David doesn't know how he's going to do it, but he knows that he will. And this implies something that, that most of us don't really like. It's the reality of waiting on God. As you read through the Psalms, you'll find this phrase of waiting on the Lord. And and it's this gap when what we know in our heads is not what we feel in our hearts. But this is the beauty of this Psalm, is that David's giving us language for how to trust him, even when we don't see all of his purposes. See, oftentimes we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. Give me a head nod. I did this in the first service and literally nobody nodded their head, which was unhelpful for me. So I'm actually talking to you. Um, Give me a head nod if this makes sense. That there's a distinction between listening to yourself and talking to yourself. Okay. What we have here is David talking to himself. He is 
speaking to himself and realizing that God sees the bigger picture. And what if God is using this season in your life to produce something in you that only he can? See, oftentimes we only have a couple pieces of the puzzle, but God has the whole picture. He has the whole puzzle. And so not only do we have real honesty, we recognize his sovereignty, but this leads us to our last truth. We remember his steadfast love. We'll see that in verse 10, but let me read starting in verse 4. It says this, that I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. It's this imagery of enemies encompassing and surrounding him. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. They have fallen into it themselves. But watch this. Watch, his, watch when he's starting now to talk to himself and not just listen. Verse 7, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. And, and he's getting to the point of here's why he can say all that he has just said. Why can he be steadfast? Why can he sing? Why is he telling others about this God? Verse 10. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Friends, the reason that we need to remember his steadfast love is because if we're honest, in the midst of our cave seasons, if you will, what it feels like to us is that he doesn't care. What it feels like to us is that he has forgotten about us, that he has abandoned us. And where we wonder if he's left us, what David does is he's tuned into something that we need to tune into, that he is confident in God's steadfast love toward him, this word hesed, this binding covenantal love to that reality now becomes the primary marker of his life. It's the reality that all of his days will be marked by steadfast love, by goodness and mercy. See, David knows that he's been promised to be king. But you and I, we don't have that type of promise in that same type of way, do we? We're not promised an earthly throne, and yet the promises that we have from God are actually far better than an earthly reign. Because for those of us who are trusting and believing in the gospel, the gospel actually does something. The good news about Jesus actually does for, something for us as we face the cave seasons in our life. See, the gospel teaches us that Jesus has suffered in our place and for our sin, that he has owned every wrong as if it was his own wrong. And he brought the power of sin in your and I's life to an end on the cross. He took our condemnation. He took what we deserve. And so, when things go wrong, at least from our perspective, you don't have to sit around and wonder if 
This is like cosmic repayment. Because the gospel answers that question with a resounding no. All of the wrath of God has been poured out on to Jesus. Now, does he discipline us? Yes, but discipline is not punishment. Your sin has been removed. Steadfast love, goodness, and mercy is what pursues us all the days of our lives, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our trials. I I think this is why Paul in Romans 8 writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Like all things means all things. There's not a single thing that goes wrong in your life that God will not somehow make right in the end. And I know that when you're in the midst of it, it does not feel that way. But that is why we have to talk to ourselves because we don't know how he's going to do it, but we have to remember his steadfast love. See, when you and I, when we look back on the days of our lives and we're standing before him in glory, I can't help but wonder if we'll just look back on our days and go, he nailed it. He nailed it. We couldn't have done it any better. Does it take the sting away? No. Will we almost, (laughs) I mean, will we take a beating along the way? Almost assuredly. But we cry our tears and we wipe the snot from our faces as God reminds us of a greater promise that he will take everything and use it for his glory and for our good. See, I, as I was thinking about this, I, it hit me that the cave wasn't the end for David. And I think that if you can follow this illustration, that this is true. That for the Christian, for those who have found their refuge in God, for those who believe uh, in what God has done and who he is, the cave isn't actually a cave. It's a tunnel. And this tunnel, it may be dark and it may feel like forever, but what awaits us on the other side is light. And what awaits us is that which no eye has seen nor ear heard, what God has prepared for us. And so how do we trust his sovereign hand when life isn't going how you thought it would? You have real honesty with God. You recognize his sovereignty. And you remember his steadfast love. This is the pilot's voice that we need to reassure us in the midst of our turbulence. Let's pray together. So Father, for, for so many of us, we, this is not theoretical. This is not just an idea. We, we feel these things. Um, we feel the challenges, the difficulties, the, the things that um, we're not sure what you're going to do or what you are doing, and yet, Lord, we want to cling to the promise that you are for us, that you're not against us, and that you will be with us even in the midst of our difficulties and cave seasons. So God, help us trust you. It's to that end we pray. In your beautiful name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.